1: The doctor is in. And all I need prescribed is a pillow. (laughs) When I do these trips, Dr. Batar, I don't sleep much, and I come home and I'm I'm needing some rest. But I'm on the air with you. Thankfully, you're here. We missed you this weekend. I got to hang out with, of course, our buddy Ty, but Dr. Tony Jimenez and his wife were amazing. I only met them briefly last year at the Truth About Cancer Gala, and this time it was like, dude, this guy's a great guy. You guys have known each other forever
0: yeah we've known each other since um, I think since 2000 probably so about 16 years.
1: He was telling me about the dream you guys had to have a clinic in Cancun and how it finally he finally got got it up and running recently which looks like an absolutely amazing place and you know we're hearing stories from people that have gone through his uh, his protocols and things that you guys have worked on together just just an amazing man I have to say I was very impressed.
0: Yeah, it, it, actually, it, it was a. It was a. We had we had talked about doing something many many years ago, and uh, it was a shared prophecy that had come from multiple people, and yeah. so I think his his plan because he's always had his clinic in Mexico, and so we were looking at different places. Um, but uh, yeah, that I'm, I'm glad that he's got his uh, his clinic in uh, Cancun, and it's apparently going really well. So, Yeah, I was uh, about, about six months ago. So.
1: Very pleased to hear it, and like I said, great to connect with him. And uh, looking forward to seeing him and you as well again in Dallas. And those of you who got your tickets, if you haven't, it's too late. It's sold out, uh, 1,500 seats sold out for the Truth About Cancer Ultimate Live Symposium, but you'll be richly rewarded by uh, joining us there. And it's going to be a, really a great time. And So, yeah, you are, you're, you know, you're always wherever I end up going because I have to mention you. Not that it's, it's bad to mention you, but it's just so funny how the things we've done together for so many years, it's just integrated in a lot of the things I present to folks. And so when we were talking about uh, emotions and cancer, we had to do a panel. Uh, Ty, me, and Tony, and, and Charlene was there. Everybody mentioned the, 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 the emotional toxicities that you referenced.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think that you can't really effectively address the issue of the oncogenic process without addressing the emotional aspect. And no matter what you do, um, if you don't address the emotional aspect, the cancer, even if you're able to turn it off, will come back. It's just a matter of time. And so for a definitive uh, once-and-for-all done, not have to deal with the issue, uh, you do have to address that component. And, of course, it's, it's true with all the other aspects, too, because you have to maintain a certain... Uh, level of performance, meaning that if you have a heavy metal issue, you address it, you get rid of the heavy metals, but then you don't address it again. It's sort of like changing the oil in your car one time or exercising one time. You have to keep on doing it on a regular schedule in order to reap the benefits. And so the emotional aspect is no different than anything else um, from that perspective because you have to maintain it. You have to work at it. You have to exercise it on on a regular basis. But I believe personally that the emotional and psychological issue uh, that's underlying the actual cause of the cancer—it's a combination of the detox. It's the combination of the toxicity on board a uh, physiology, where in- impaired ability to excrete uh, the-, the nutritional deficits that may be there, and I, as you've heard me say before, it's either uh, a nutrient depletion at one point or a toxicity at one point in the body that starts, or usually a combination of both. That underlying emotional psyche component, the the psyche of the individual, that emotional psychological burden that they're carrying, that trauma that they're dealing with, has to be present for the system to become vulnerable to that that process. That's what I personally believe. I I can't prove that, but just having dealt with this issue now over 20-some years dealing with patients with cancer, I've found that the emotional psychological issue is by far the biggest commonality. And if um, it's not addressed adequately, you will not get the result. Um, you will you will not get the ultimate result that you're hoping to achieve.
1: How about the trauma uh, of being a doctor, a licensed medical doctor in the United States? Like there's this guy, Dr. Bob Sears. I don't know if you've ever met him, but he's written a lot about. It. He's been fairly vocal and outspoken over the years about the vaccine schedule and uh, you know being independent. Minded with each individual and saying this is the schedule, we're going to do our own thing, not what the CDC says. He might secretly be totally opposed to vaccines. I don't know. I don't, I don't know him personally. But now because of the SB-277 and his outspokenness to, to provide exemptions for children that he believes would be harmed by vaccines more readily than others, uh, they're th- seemingly threatening his license. And I wonder when you hear stories like this, if you get nightmares because of the battles you had to do not that you're afraid of stuff, but you know what I mean, where you, these memories go back. It's like, oh, man, this guy's going to go through the ringer because of this.
0: No, I I don't have uh, feelings like that. I have more anger at the system that how many other people have to go through that type of bullshit. Excuse mm-hmm. my language. I don't know that I can say that or not, but I said it anyway. Um, that I do have that type of thought process. I don't think, like... Um, oh, man, this guy's going to go to the ringer. I don't Mm -hmm. think, you know, I don't have a nightmare or anything like that. I, You know, they might be a little familiar. You know, maybe there's that feeling of, yeah, remember that type of thing. That's about it. But there is a frustration of how many more people have to do this type of, uh, experience this type of BS Mm -hmm. before it stops. But I think that there's a lot more awareness today, too, that recognizes the BS for what it is, and like for with Dr. Sears, as there's, there's been a lot of, um, I mean, just like with with myself and with many of the doctors back then, and 15, 20 years ago, there was a lot of public outcry. But now there's there are more vocal organizations. You the, the spread of the internet is much more effective. More people use email today than they did 15 years ago. Um, so, I think that. There's there's more awareness of the mm-hmm. BS. There's more awareness of the situation. There's more awareness of the unfairness, of the whole of the whole uh, sequence of events that leads up to this. More people are uh, pro-choice. That you know, I I want to make my own choice about my child's uh, own welfare. There's more awareness of the autism aspect, and so he's he's going to be fine. Um, if anything, the medical board in California is going to get a spanking. Um, he's, you know, hopefully he'll just fight the fight for for the purpose of the fight and not uh, succumb to them, which I'm sure he won't. But,
1: um. uh, well, I, I'd like to see it like an uprising of doctors against licensure altogether, you know, because licenses are permission slips to do that which would otherwise be illegal, right? If you've had the training and you're board certified or however you want to do it privately and you're not deceiving the public, pretending to be what you're not or doing something you're not trained to do, you don't need licensure. Licensure seems to control the behavior of doctors, moving them away from doing what they know to be right and correct, like, for instance, altering the vaccine schedule or halting it altogether.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, though, from a realistic standpoint, if there is a revolt against licensure, the only way you can revolt against it is by saying, okay, I'm not going to be licensed. And they may be... 20, 50, 100 doctors that are courageous enough to do that. The problem is the medical profession won't ever get everybody to do that. And so if they're not going to do that, the boards are going to be even happier because now you took the ones that are the loose cannons and they've eliminated themselves. And now because they're not licensed, they're, because of the current law, they're practicing without a license. And it doesn't matter whether you've got the degree or not, you're practicing without a license. And if you're practicing without a license, that's a felony and they'll arrest you and they'll put you in jail. So, so it wouldn't You know, in in theory, it's a good concept that there's an uprising. But the way that the law is set up, um, all you're going to do is take away your own livelihood and um, basically slit your own wrists because that's what they want you to do. They want you to stop practicing. And if you say, okay, I'm not going to get licensed anymore, uh, you've eliminated yourself. And if you do start to see patients or you do do anything uh, to help people, they'll have you arrested because you're practicing without a license. So it's... Well, and and we've talked
1: about the legal maneuvering of of establishing uh, something outside of the public health domain. Remember we've talked about that? Yeah. Uh, And and those that have worked with the concept of the Native American tribes and being healers in those tribes outside of the, the control and auspices. So you have these doctors who are duly qualified to do extraordinary work, but they're not now restricted and limited and can't be taken out of their uh their ability to do work simply because they're outside of the scope of practice when they can't even define it that well as we talked about the standard of care that doesn't really have a definition
0: yeah well from that so if there's a strategy um that has been worked out to allow the doctor to continue to practice without uh being subjugated to the current laws of the land or of whatever land they're in yes then of course it's a it's a good thing but but again, it'll only work for those that are willing to step out. The vast majority won't step out. And so the process will still continue. Um, you know, to, to make a real difference, it would have to be half the medical profession or two thirds of the medical profession. And, you know, that no significant um, change ever, when you look at history, no significant change whatsoever has ever occurred because of a group of people or an organization or a society or a government or a body. It's always been when the public has demanded. And, and stopped voting with their dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so right. No matter what the doctors do, I think it's really up to the public to to demand it. And once the public outcry is sufficiently heard, then and only then will it change. And then, of course, it's going to go through those three phases of truth that we've talked about in the last mm-hmm.
1: one. Exactly. And you know, you're, you're so right because this is the whole thing when people stop going to doctors who have licenses. Then suddenly they're going to say, well, why aren't they coming to see us? Now, Obamacare thought that it had solved that problem by mandating participation in it, right? And we've talked about that 100 years prior with the Flexner Report, how it created a monopoly of one type of medicine to eliminate all other competition. So, again, we're going through the throes of it. Bob Sears is just the latest example of this battle until the people wake up and go, you know what, I don't want to go to a doctor who's controlled in that way. I want to see someone who, you know, even like Dr. Jimenez, who's out of the country, right, and has more freedom to do the things that he can't do in the United States.
0: Yeah, um, and I I don't think that it makes any difference whether you're in the States or out of the States. I mean, we've been doing um, all the things that um most people end up leaving the united states do um for you know years when the north Carolina medical board made the issue with the dmps we notified the medical board that was in 2004 that we were using dmps and up to this point as far as i know we're still the only medical clinic in north and south carolina in Virginia that yeah
1: we're uh-huh. up on uh-huh. a break dr batar stand by stand by we are going to talk more advanced medicine we've got more statin news We've got a pushback against Zika Spring in San Diego, and we've got a question-slash-comment of the day for Dr. Batar coming up on the Robert Scott Bell Show Advanced Medicine.
0: The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell
1: Show. making sense out of medical propaganda. Here's Robert. Advanced medicine continues here with Dr. Rasha Bittar, author of the international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. And uh, Dr. Bittar, we were just talking about Dr. Bob Sears and the vaccine issue. I thought we'd follow up. There's a couple of interesting vaccine articles this week, and they're in the notes for those of you who want to follow along at robertscottbell.com. Mistrust of vaccines greatest in France, uh, I think this one's also, this one, many vaccines contaminated with the herbicide glyphosate. This is like a new angle looking at the damage of vaccines, and it's not an ingredient that they actually list.
0: Yeah, this is really um, massive, because I, I had no I had no inkling that glyphosates were in the vaccines, but that the fact that most vaccines have it, I mean, that's extremely disturbing. And just another reason to be added to the, Million
1: other reasons why a person shouldn't get vaccines. It's yeah, I mean, and we we talk about the damage of glyphosate within the gut, the human microbiome, the impact there. But think about it. You know, where are they injecting vaccines? I mean, even though we know there's impact in the gut, Wakefield and others have found that there is a direct reference point that when you get injected, that the gut is impacted. But what other things are impacted when you inject glyphosate?
0: Well, you've got the competitive inhibition aspect whenever the body sees something that's very similar or has the same receptor site. So this is an example when we talk about the use of DMSA instead of DMPS. Mm -hmm. DMPS is dimercaptin propanosulfonate versus DMSA dimercaptin succinic acid. Well, succinic acid itself is the most abundant uh, substrate in the citric acid cycle, in the Krebs cycle. The succinic acid is something the body uses to create adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy building block of the body or the body uses to as um, fuel. And so when ATP is broken down to ADB, then, of course, that's the release of the energy, and that's what the body uses. So the point is the succinic acid uh, is something that the body utilizes. But DMS, dimercapital succinic acid, is something different, but the body sees it as succinic acid and it's the same type of thing with the glyphosate, you know, you're going to have other components in the body that are very similar that act, that either the receptor sites are the same in the body that the glyphosate adheres to, or that it's going to act as a similar substrate, and so glycine and glyphosate, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we were kind of talking about this during the break, um, the the receptor sites of of glycine are going to be the same, very similar to that of uh, glyphosate, so... Uh, insulin like growth factor, for example, and insulin, you know, morphologically they're identical. Vitamin C, here's a better example vitamin C and um, and uh, sugar. Vitamin C and sugar have their receptor sites are, are morphologically identical. So a vitamin C molecule will hit the glucose uh, receptor site or sugar, or your sugar, glucose receptor site or glucose molecule can hit the vitamin C receptor site, but actually uh, the vitamin C is acting on both glucose receptors as, as the glucose molecule itself. So the receptor site being very similar or the substrate being very similar uh, will allow the body to go through this process of competitive inhibition. So glyphosate would be picked up into the body's normal metabolic processes and screw up everything because it's acting on a site that the body sees uh, is utilized by something very similar, which would be glycerin in this particular example.
1: Fascinating, yeah. And and uh, Stephanie Seneff, the Ph.D. from uh, M- MIT, has been talking about this extensively because she's done a lot of research on the glyphosate issue and then somehow it was crossing over into the autism issue. And that's where, you know, she saw the the, uh, the vaccine connection and now she's looked at this and she does say it, it competes with the glycine receptors. Uh, so uh, fascinating, toxic in its own right, but also blocking the utilization of critical components for function.
0: It, it absolutely is. And, you know, this thing is that there's so many other components um, that we don't know, Robert, that we are not aware of, that we, um, we think we might know, but we don't really understand the implications downstream how the cascade uh, unravels. And so for everything that we do know, for example, this researcher that you mentioned and the work that she's done and the damages she's um, scripted out showing what the problems would be in the future... That's only what's known. You can pretty much do the do the extrapolation of 10. So for everything that we know, take that times 10. These are the other things that it's going to do to damage that we are not aware of. And mm-hmm. that's what's even more concerning. Like, for example, we talk about the dangers of GMOs, right? Genetically modified organisms, genetically modified foods, genetically modified substances. The concern that I have is what about all the things that it, we are not aware that it's going to cause problems? And that's where the danger is. Yeah,
1: where's, where's the precautionary principle? From our government regulators that are supposed to protect us. <laughs> They're protecting the industry that's polluting and intoxicating us, and that's a problem. We will uh, do some more advanced medicine with Dr. Batar after this break, including a comment of the day that's very detailed, very annoying in detail, no, in a good way. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Bell Show. <laughs> Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Upcoming events in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Super Don is heading up to Arkansas to visit with his daughter and grandbabies. And uh, have a safe journey there. Super Don will catch up with you soon on that. And Dr. Batar is with me, and he'll be with us in Dallas, for the big event, the Truth About Cancer Ultimate Live Symposium coming up, and you can learn more about Dr. Batar at drbitar.com, D R B U T T A R dot com. Very simple to do. Now, uh, comment. Uh, yeah, I was just, I, would, I was facetiously making fun of the listeners because I went and lectured and I I, I asked the question, "What's the most dangerous thing you can have in America?" And I do that a lot, and most people will go, you know, a gun or you know something like that. I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's really good medical insurance, right? Because they, they will guarantee you to do every invasive test, every invasive procedure, even if it's not necessary. And so they blurted it out before I could even have, a, like, a moment's hesitation, a beat, to kind of let people think about it. It's like, they're paying attention, Dr. Batar. And here's evidence. They definitely are. Yeah, here's some evidence of it with this comment of the day coming in from Steve. He starts his comment with an l o l i don 't know if he 's a millennial, but of course, I think that means laugh out loud or lots of laughter i 'm mm-hmm. not sure which one, but anyway, your story because Super Don loves stories about the drugs and the side effects that they list in every commercial because they 're so brutal they 're like they 're worse than the than the 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 reason you 're taking the drug right the symptoms so mm-hmm. there 's a story we did last week He said your story about the asthma drug Brio that increases the risk of death from asthma symptoms was classic pharmaceutical it definitely upstages the arthritis drug Enbro that merely may merely lead to cancer but in all seriousness I guess the difference between a poison and a medicine can be a matter of the dosage and the method of application I recall that doc, Dr. Edward Tobinick has been using spinal injections of Enbro to successfully treat paralysis from stroke in fact Dr. Batar heard about the procedure and used it with remarkable results on his dad which he discussed on the 8 2015 show uh, yeah, I'm like I don't even remember that detail, Doctor Batar.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's right. We did. We talked about it in explicit detail with some of the new things that we were doing, and uh, you know, we've we've done it with that. We've done it with a couple of other components too. So, yeah, they, I mean, it's a it's a observant uh, individual that was listening to the show.
1: Yeah, and and it reminds me of. Um People that do this low dose naltrexone for certain things as well, because if you get into the realm of nanopharmacology, of course, into the realm of homeopathy, the the, the molecular reduction is say, oh, that doesn't work. That's not possible. But they're actually seeing quite a different interaction with really low dosing allopathic drugs. They have a completely different interaction with the body.
0: Yeah, that's true. Now, you know, low dose naltrexone. I I don't use that, and I won't use that. And the reason is very simple: it's because. When you're dealing with something like in that particular case, and I don't know whether you want to get into the nuances, there are certain no, things that I'm. Yeah, it's use, okay. But but in low dose naltrexone, the reason I don't want to use it is because it's it's pushing, it's driving, mm-hmm. uh, it's almost like caffeine. It's it's increasing the rate of a response. It's actually pushing the immune system. And my belief is that you, if you push a system that's already taxed, you can blow the engine. Right. and I don't want the immune system to be stimulated by somebody beating. It's like okay, you. You can either pull the donkey up the hill or you can beat the donkey going up the hill and to get mm-hmm. him to go up the hill. But you can also push the donkey to the point that he's going to fail and he's going to die because of exhaustion. And I don't want to drive the immune system that way. I want to pull the immune system. Right. I want to support the immune system. I want to get it going. So th- for that reason, I don't use low-dose naltrexone, even though it's been... You know, for, for I don't know, ten years or more, they've talked about it. Maybe even longer, but sure. I've never done that. Before. Philosophically,
1: well, this is not Stanford. No, I think that's you know what we're talking about here is not necessarily an endorsement of it, but it is a recognition that the dose, well, the poison is in the dose, right? Uh, mm. We we can take a little bit of something that, in a large amount, can kill us, right? Now, in the in the fact, in the case of mercury. It's, you you don't want to take anything more than a homeopathic dose, you know that can counteract and kind of remove it. But in other cases, there are things that are, have less toxic levels that may have therapeutic value at very low dose administration.
0: That's it, that's absolutely right. You're right, and and you know sometimes it's that mechanism action. Um, certain things in low doses, as you've already pointed out, uh, can have a, a, a benefit for, in homeopathy, for example. Using arsenic or mercury mm-hmm. in the homeopathic doses, like dilute. Has it like dilute? Like so, it's
1: actually like cures the, like cures like in that sense. Like, cures, so you're like, actually having a benefit for those with exposure to specifically mercury or specifically arsenic, but even more than that, which is the law of similars, which says even if it, your symptoms weren't caused by mercury or caused by arsenic, the manifestation of those symptoms fit the picture of the of those medicines or remedies in that way and so it expands on that concept as opposed to just being an antidote
0: exactly exactly and so from from my perspective this is something that is um, crucial to understand that as science evolves there are so many different components that we don't understand how the body works, um, you know, they talk about space, space is the last frontier. Um, really, the human body and in, in its interactions and some of the things that we find and how the body responds to them, you know, it's, it's, it's just virtually an unknown. And when you start looking at things like homeopathy that have proven the test of time, they've been around, like my dad used to say all the time, the truth has a way of sustaining itself, whether it's a week or a month or a year or 10 years, 100 years or 1,000 years later, it will be recognized, the truth will sustain itself, and homeopathy is an example of something that was widely used um, around the Civil War times and now it's ridiculed by the you know mainstream medicine that try to ridicule it yet even you can go to any health food store you can go to and most uh, grocery food stores and you'll find some homeopathic homeopathic uh, available to, for purchase and so it has sustained itself because it's a true and tried modality of treatment and we just, have to, we just have to improve and increase our uh, thought processes to start looking at those things that we don't understand and utilize them in, in a way that will benefit uh, people. Placebo is a perfect example. You know, placebo, the benefits from placebo, well, people ridicule that. I mean, the mainstream medicine will, Oh, well, that's just placebo. They say it in such a derogatory, dismissive fashion as if it's something negative. But placebo is a perfect example of something that we should be trying to harness. And there's nothing to placebo, right? It's it's in the person's mind. Well, then we should be using it because we know the one thing you can't do is hurt anybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so uh, I just, you know, I like to step back from these things, and we have fundamental philosophies and principles that, that guide us. And, you know, one of those primary principles is not to poison the body. But it is, again, fascinating because in the homeopathic provings, they learned from the poisonings, and it indicated, it gave insight to Dr. Hahnemann and those that have followed up on his work to say, you know what, that interaction is interesting and unique. What if we altered that substance to the point where it would be non-toxic or very minimally interacting in terms of molecular interaction, and, and could it have an energetic benefit to the body? to do something good and positive and wonderful. And, you know, as you said, and I call them the molecular reductionists, whether they're medical or not, uh, they fight against this concept. And, uh, you know, it becomes, for them, it's a religion. It's not a science anymore because, as you said and as your dad says, the test of time, it it would have disappeared from the earth if it was really as false as they claimed it is.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so that's a way that we can assess how effective is a therapy. Uh, how, how, how long has it been used, how many people have responded to it. And, you know, when something's been around for, for thousands of years, like, say, acupuncture, and then we in mainstream medicine will label it as alternative, uh, alternative to something that's been around maybe 20 years or 30 years or 40 years, mm-hmm. you know, it, it starts to show you the idiocy of, of, of that particular organization or society, or group of people, when they say, label something's been around for 5,000 years as a alternative or optional and looking at something new that's only got a short period it's a speck of, it's a speck of dust when it comes to the, you know, greater scheme of when you look at it from a timeline standpoint. Right. Like man, man using pharmaceuticals is, is just a millisecond in the history of man's, you know, time on the planet so far.
1: Right, exactly. And, uh, and,
0: genetically, mod- and genetically modified foods is even a, you know, a minuscule of that amount. So we don't know what the implications are. We just know that there are things out there. And I, for one, am, you know, the more, the older I get, Robert, the more I realize that I'm, I'm becoming more open and more open to things. And some people say, man, well, you, you you think you're more open than you were before. And I think I definitely am more open because I would write off certain things right off the bat.
1: Right. Um, yeah. I, I find that's but, funny because, you know, we, we think about you, you're old and you're set in your ways. And I feel like that you maintain that youthfulness by staying open and remaining open and being genuinely excited and surprised by things. Because you didn't definitively dismiss it, other than things you already know to dismiss because of your personal direct experience, and so for me that's the same thing. It, you know, half a century into this thing, I just go, you know what? I'm never going to say never on this. I'm going to be open to learn and listen, and and you know, we've discussed that talking about what we can learn from people that come to see us for help. They end up helping us.
0: Uh, that's a really really interesting observation. I really like that um, opening keeping yourself open and opening your mind and your heart and seeing more of the potentials and possibilities keeps you in a more useful state. I think that's, I think that's something that we should actually talk about more openly as, as, mm-hmm. as to the possibilities of what's, uh, what the implications could be from a health standpoint of, sure. of just having that mindset. That's a really, really interesting observation. I like that.
1: Well, think about the hardening of the arteries or the calcification or the the plaques that build on the brain. All of these things they they indicate a you know a shutting down, a closing down of of, of things. So we could see how the even the language plays itself out in the disease process, how these things would happen or not happen based on you know what we believe. We come back to the Bruce Lipton kind of concepts the things that he's brought out.
0: Because, you know, I try to uh, make it really, really simple where one thing is restrictive and the other thing is uh, moving forward. So you've either got stagnation or you've got flow, as in Eastern medicine or in Eastern philosophy, we talk about chi, the flow of energy. So lymphatics, for example, when they're stagnated, they, that induces cancer. That, that's one of the characteristics of cancer. And if we can get a person's energy flowing, if we can make them start to feel alive by living their life, because I believe cancer is nothing more than knock on the forehead saying that hey, you need to wake up and smell the mm-hmm. smell the roses. So if, if that's what we're talking about, it's a flow of energy that gets things moving. Well, um, what you just said about keeping your mind open and it helps to keep your heart young and keeps your body young and your you know, it's a longevity type thought process. Um and that's exactly what it is, because by op- keeping your mind open, you are allowing your mind process to be more conducive to the longevity process. So it's it's flowing, you know, mm-hmm. by, by keeping yourself in that mode of learning and, and being inquisitive, you are flowing, as opposed to when you think you've got everything, you restrict it. So it comes back Correct. to the same philosophy flow.
1: So, so Steve, if you're listening today, your comment of the day was great. You'll remember this a year from now and remind us when we said that on which show, on 912 2016. Dr. Raja Bittar, Advanced Medicine, continues after this break.
0: The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Rocking the health world
0: through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show.
1: Hey, Dr. Batar, every once in a while when I get together with Ty and you're not around, I almost feel like I'm duty-bound to kind of channel you for at least one moment where I can give a dig to Ty and then I can say, well, that was really Dr. Batar. <laughs> it was, And it was one of those things where... We were laughing about something, and I said, "Yeah, because you're so funny-looking, you know." it's a silly thing, but we, we, I just got giggly at the moment because I know if we were all together, you would have just just busted him good on it. <laughs> and I just said, "Yeah, uh, Doctor Batar's here in spirit."
0: Yeah, but I don't understand. You said you know when you give, give him a when you kind of give him a little, little tease or something, but I don't understand him. Being funny looking—that's
1: not a tease. That's a fact. So, <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. See, that's what I'm talking about. So, we missed you, and we appreciated that you were still there, even when you weren't. So, like I said, that's why we're, part of why we're so excited to connect with you in Dallas. It's going to be a huge event. I know there'll be a lot of folks there, but uh, we got our we got our good team together, you know, and we have a good time. So, uh, you'll enjoy that. Everybody will be getting together with us. So, uh, by the way, I just posted a picture with Dr. Tony Jimenez uh, on our uh, Twitter account at RS Bell Media. You can check it out there. I had a great time with him. And uh, following on with it, you know, we're talking about toxic poisons, drugs, but low dosing or even homeopathic dosing. It's interesting because we've covered a number of stories over the past few years about even in the peer-reviewed medical literature, mainstream medical journals saying, you know what, the statin drugs – they don't do what they're supposed to do in terms of genuine reduction of, of risk for heart disease or heart attacks, and they're very dangerous. They cause a lot of side effects or direct effects that are toxic to the body, to the liver, to the cells, to the heart, to the muscles, etc. Now there's pushback. They're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you all have been exaggerating about the harm that could be caused by them, and you're underestimating the benefit. I wonder who's writing this.
0: Yeah, you know, so don't you think this is propaganda again
1: (laughs) yeah it's 101 it's like buy our drugs you're not buying up our drugs stop stop being mean to us
0: yeah if we look at the history of the and drugs we start looking at when they were prescribed at what level of cholesterol or triglycerides or what level of uh, the lipids being off you know or dyslipidemia if you want to call it that Uh, at what level of dyslipidemia do they normally prescribe them it used to be 250 with a lipids where cholesterol was over 250 or triglycerides were over 250 and then they dropped it to 240 and then 225 and then, uh, I don't know even remember now, it's like if you have triglycerides or if you have uh, lipids that are over 150, I think it's triglycerides over 150 or uh, total cholesterol over 180, then I recommend that you be on a statin drug. Mm. Um, why are they, why do they keep on doing this? Well, because more and more people are having side effects in statin drugs and so they stop taking them. The we, muscle weakness is a very big one, and that most people that start experiencing that, and then they become aware that that's the reason for their muscle weakness is because of the statin drug. They decide to stop using right. it. But there are many different reasons why people stop using drugs, and then, of course, that drops the, the sales of the drugs. And then, yeah. you know, talking about the side effects are over exaggerated. Well, look at the studies that have been done, and the studies have shown clearly that if you are on a statin drug, even the original Helsinki study that talked about statin drugs, that the person should be on ubiquinone, coenzyme MQ10. And if you're not on coenzyme Q ten then it's a it's very, very dangerous to be on these drugs, on these statin drugs, because the incidence of hepatocellular carcinoma of liver cancer is quite high. And when used in without the subsequent use of coenzyme Q ten, it becomes very, very deleterious to the body. And so now they're saying that those negative side effects are, are over exaggerated. I mean, yeah. that's what the studies show, you know. So owning our studies that we want you to believe those are the ones that are important, but the other studies that right. show that the stuff is not good no those that 's over exaggeration,
1: yeah, look, it says our review shows that the number of people who avoid heart attacks and strokes by taking statin therapy are much larger than the number who have side effects but that that 's not even if if you step back from that statement you 're like that 's not even an analysis really, and what about the original uh, finding? I believe it was original, or at some point they figured this out that the people who have heart attacks, it's like an equal number have high cholesterol that have low cholesterol.
0: Well, exactly. That's that's where the in the last five, six, seven years, the studies that have been done have found that it has nothing to do with lipids, and it actually has more to do with hyperinsulinia. it's the mm-hmm. it's the sugar that really throw, increases a heart risk, and heart disease risk, as well as actually the. Triglyceride issue is all to do with dietary sugar, so you're absolutely exactly.
1: All right, so folks, uh, you got it again. Uh, don't take the statins, uh, and the good news is if you pull off a of statins, there's not a withdrawal like on some drugs. But talk to your doc or pharmacist or whoever you're working with on that issue. And for now, we'll just remind you this one very important thing, Doctor Batar, Let it loose. What do they need to know?
0: That the power to heal is
1: yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show Scott Bell Show.